great. Oh, man, I'm glad to see you guys this morning. My name is Levi, uh, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, we have been in uh, a study through uh, the book of Daniel, which has been awesome. We've been in it the past couple weeks. And today we're diving into uh, Daniel chapter 3, which is a, a favorite chapter of mine. And uh, it's not the first time that I've shared uh, uh, a portion of Daniel chapter 3 before a congregation. When I was uh, barely, maybe barely 16 years old, it was the summer before my junior year of high school, um, I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip to, uh, with a team to Nigeria, Africa, it was super duper fun. We partnered with a local church over there and we did uh, kind of essentially like a vacation Bible school type deal um, for the kids in the community. And uh, uh, the pastor of the local church, Pastor Nefioke Udo, he approached me and he said, hey, you know, would you, um, would you, I, you know, I was the youngest member of the team by a long shot. And he was like, hey, would you want to give a, a, a testimony to uh, a service that we're having here in a couple of days, all, you know, this other stuff. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, 10 to 15 minute testimony. And so I, uh, you know, uh, part of my testimony, I shared a portion of Daniel chapter three. And um, I don't know if, uh, it, it, like, did y'all grow up using like phrases or terms like with your family or with your, your community? And then you go out into the real world and you like say it and everybody's like, nobody says that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like I have a long list of stuff that I, that I do that, uh, where I'll just I'll say something and be like, what is that phrase you just said? Um, we've mentioned this before in the service, but uh, uh, I grew up on VeggieTales, as a lot of you probably also did. And so uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are two characters that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, that is very hard for children to say. Those are big words. And so VeggieTales wonderfully shortened it to Rack Shack and Benny. And so I just kind of grew up saying Rack Shack and Benny. And so I'm 16 years old giving my testimony to a bunch of adult Nigerian men and women saying Rack Shack and Benny over and over again. And they are so polite and so sweet and they are paying attention. I, I, I catch myself about halfway through and I correct back to, oh, you guys probably don't know what that means. Shadow can shake and Benny go and they're like, oh, and then they kind of all collects. But... I, uh, I tell that story because it makes me laugh, uh, and, also, and also because there is a uh, very, very strong chance that I'm going to say Rack Shack and Benny as I am preaching this morning, so I just kind of getting it out of the way, uh, that is habitual, and you know, I can't help myself. Um, I love Daniel chapter 3 a lot. Um, a lot of y'all probably grew up hearing that story, but uh, practically speaking, it can be very difficult sometimes, this passage. Um, on paper, uh, it's, it's very inspiring. It's very, there's a lot that happens. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of cool you know, events that take place, but uh, sometimes applying this text to our everyday life can be uh, difficult. Um, a lot of what we're talking about today uh, revolves around the topic of suffering, and uh, to, to keep me on track and to keep me organized, because I love to ramble and I love to go on tangents, I'm going to uh, give you all a question, and I'll have it on the screen behind me just for us to kind of mull over as we're walking through Daniel chapter 3. Um, where is God when his children are suffering? So if you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you... He died on the cross for your sins. If you've submitted to his rule and reign and you said he is my king, you are a child of God. Where, are, where is God when his children are suffering? And for some of you, you might you know, have 
the churchy answer, the, the right answer maybe even, you have it locked and loaded. Like I said, where's God when his people suffering? You're like, ooh, I know Levi, I know that answer, which is awesome and it's great. But for, for some of us, you might have the answer in your head, but conceptualizing God's position while we suffer can sometimes be really painful. Um, since most of the time um, in the modern generation, we equate the presence of suffering oftentimes with the absence of God. So we see we go, there's suffering in the world, there's terrible things happening. And if God is good and he loves us, he would do something about it. And since there's still suffering, there must not be a good and gracious God. That's a lot of times the modern world kind of reaches that conclusion. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we might reach that conclusion too in our own lives where we go, I'm in the middle of suffering. God, where, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? If you are good and you are gracious and you love me, why aren't you doing anything? And as we're together this morning, I really hope that this passage uh, is encouraging to you. It's really encouraging to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very familiar passage, so I would, I would welcome you guys as we read through. Like I know, you, you know whenever someone starts to say like a quote from a movie and you kind of fill in the blank, like a lot of this story, I'm sure we could all fill in the blank in our brains, but we're, as we walk through, I really want us to kind of have open minds to what the Lord's going to reveal to us this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to slowly but surely walk through these 30 verses of Daniel chapter 3. So if y'all could bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, this community uh, that I love so much and that you love even more, which is just crazy. Uh, give us open minds and open hearts to experience and receive uh, the wisdom that you have for us today from this beautiful and familiar passage. We love you, God. It's because you love us first. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to have uh, most of the text as we go through, it's going to be behind me, but I'm, I'm going to bounce around a little bit for time's sake. But let's start in verse 1, and we'll walk through. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar, sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Jump into verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. In uh, ancient cultures, uh, the rulers of these kingdoms were oftentimes saw themselves as more than human. So as, as you walk through scripture and you see all of these kind of major ancient empires uh, like Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Rome, they all have rulers in their history who saw themselves as either the, the physical representation of a god or, or a god themselves in some capacity, greater than just a normal human. And seeing themselves as gods, they would often make images of themselves that were often worshipped. And so when we hear that a king of a mighty nation has commissioned an image to be made, 
It's most likely an image of himself in some sort of capacity. And we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar definitely sees himself as the image of God. And this image made by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it very well could be a statue. We, we kind of, in our in kids' videos and, and kind of in our imagination, we, we think image, we think statue of some kind, which is very possible. But there's also a strong possibility that it could be uh, something like this. I'll have a picture up behind me. Uh, and that, that circle, uh, I, I just circled people just to kind of give you like a size comparison. Those are people at the base of it. That's uh, like a, a, the term for that structure is an obelisk. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, an obelisk. And it's uh, like, a, I always think of like the, the Washington Monument. It's kind of like a, an obelisk type deal. Um, but th- those two are from uh, a, a temple in Egypt. And uh, this one um, to the left is roughly the same dimensions as the image in uh, this passage. 60 cubits by 6 cubits, which is roughly 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And this image of gold was uh, just by what we have in Scripture. It was tall, it was slender, and it was very likely fashioned to represent King Nebuchadnezzar in some way. We also see King Nebuchadnezzar calling a lot of the major rulers of the province together uh, to witness the dedication of this golden image. And many scholars kind of interpret this moment as the king gathering all the rulers together and essentially kind of founding this unified religion for his nation, for his kingdom. So they are unified, one faith, one religion under one God, which in this case would most likely be himself. He sees himself as the pinnacle of this new universal kind of faith that he's creating. So the king puts a band together and we see all these instruments and we don't have enough time to go into the details of all these instruments, but all sort of string instruments and wind instruments and what have you. And when the king strikes up the band, you better hit the dirt and start worshiping or you are going to be cast into this burning, fiery furnace and obviously that will not be good for you. All right, let's keep going. Verse eight, therefore at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared, King Nebuchadnezzar, to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Skipping down to verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We've met these three men before. We are reintroduced to them. And they do not pay attention to these gold, this golden image or the idols that uh, the king has set up. And because of their refusal, they are obviously painting a very large target on their back. Genesis chapter 1, uh, in the first half of verse 26, says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar that's the, makes an image. That's the word they use. Is this, they, he makes an image of gold. And that, this verse in Genesis is the first time we see in the Hebrew Bible this word image used. It's very, very cool. And this word image in ancient Hebrew and Aramaic uh, can be translated as likeness, or in some cases it can be translated as idol. God is making little representations of himself, little image bearers of himself at creation. It's very cool. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, God tells his people in the wilderness that they shall not make carved images and that they shall not bow down and worship or serve those carved images. God makes it very clear that the only one who is allowed to craft images of themselves is the creator. 
The created, us humans, the created, are not supposed to make images because we already are images. That is a whole sermon we could preach on that by itself, but that's the gist of what I want to kind of get at. We, are, we already bear the image of our creator, and so image bearers are not supposed to make, like create and craft other images. God already did that in us. Verse 13 through 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That last statement that Nebuchadnezzar says is, is super, uh, I'll just say prideful. I'll just say prideful for the sake of language. But in Exodus chapter 20, the first, uh, the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. And Nebuchadnezzar in this moment by saying, and who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand is essentially saying, there is no God before me. So who's going to deliver you if I'm the highest authority and I have you in my clutches? There is no God who can deliver you out of my hand. He's calling, again, in the same vein, he is essentially calling himself the highest authority. He's calling himself a God above all gods in this moment. And he is unapologetic for it. Um, before we jump into uh, these next three verses, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Tim Schoenfeld. Uh, uh, we... Uh, these three verses are, for both of us, three of our most favorite verses in, in all of Scripture. And uh, um, we both had a desire to preach this morning, and he so graciously allowed me to do it, which I was so thankful for. So uh, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm kind of representing both of us here this morning, but especially for these three verses. So let's jump in. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. Okay, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Amen. Amen. Rakshak and Benny, they know. They know. They know that God is able, and if you, if, if you again, I, there are some of you in this room that, that might not be believers, might not call yourself Christians, and if that's true, I'm so glad you're here. What an awesome text to like visit our church and experience. But if you call yourself a Christian and you believe that God is not only real, but he, you know, he, he's, he's able to deliver us, like we, we know that in our brains. We, can, we, can, we, can, we, we are aware of the fact that God is not only capable and able, but he can if he wants to. Like, we know that in our brains. And, but what makes, what makes this passage so powerful is these three words that, that they throw in in verse 18. 
And they're incredibly courageous words. Um, it's the words, but if not. I'm going to read it again just because it's so good. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able, he is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, that is huge. We've all had that moment, or moments, in our life where we are either just looking at the sky or we have our head in our hands and all we can say over and over and over again is, God, do something. Fix this. This is broken. What I'm going through is not fair. I've, I've been faithful. I've, I've done, I've, I've, I read the Bible. I did like, all, you know, all of this stuff. This is, I, I love you. I serve you. You are my king. This is not Okay, you are a God. You say you love me. You say that you want what's best for me. Do something. Deliver me. You know how many times I've prayed that? Deliver me. I'm so tired. Deliver me. But if not, I will serve you. But if not, I will trust you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not want to die. Like, Scripture doesn't say, and they did not want to get burned in the fiery furnace, but that's pretty implied. Nobody wants to get cast into a fiery furnace. They don't want to die. But what they don't say is, God will save us because we are good and we are faithful men and we have served God all of our lives, which is true. They have. If, again, if you, if you haven't watched the sermons from chapter one and chapter two, they're on YouTube. Go back and watch them. They're really, really good. But like we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are faithful, like through horrifying abuse of all kinds. They are faithful to the Lord in a number of ways. But they don't say that. They don't say, we have, a, we have been faithful and so God's gonna deliver us. They say, and I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing it in my own words, the God that we serve has authority over you, king. You've claimed authority over us. That is a lie. Our God has authority. Like, they are calling him out. Our God has authority. He can deliver us out of your hand. Like, he's, again, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, who can deliver you out of my hand? And they're saying, our God is greater, more powerful, and before you, Nebuchadnezzar, he can deliver you, deliver us out of your hand. And he has the power to save us. He is able. He can do it. But if he chooses not to, then we will die as we lived. We will die faithfully in service to our God. That is such a hard thing to pray. I don't like, I, I love those verses. And when I try to pray it, it is so scary because I don't like the but what if not. I don't like that. It's not comfortable. It does not make me happy. But if not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would rather experience a horrifyingly torturous death 
than worship anything other than the God whose image they bear. That's awesome. Like they, they are living examples. They are, they are in service to the Lord and they say, we would rather die in this horrifying way than live and not worship the God we serve. But if not, I could spend a week on those three verses. I just, and most of it would be me just repeating myself over and over again. But man, it is so good. Let's keep going. For the sake of time, we're going to keep going. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Skip down to verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. After having his authority and his position and his power as him seeing himself as a god, seeing all of this stuff challenged in front of all of these Babylonian leaders, in a furious rage, the king has the furnace heated up seven times more than normal. And for all you Bible nerds out there, and for the ancient Israelite, that number seven is very symbolic, it's very important. And it, it is symbolic of, of completeness and fullness. So when it says that he heated it up seven times, he heated this furnace up as hot as it could possibly go, as hot as he could get it. And it's so hot that, he, that it kills these men who are carrying and throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. Like the heat off of this furnace is so hot that these men drop dead. It is that hot. Verse 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So King Nebuchadnezzar, it's a super dark scene even. He's sitting there, he's watching like he's going to watch these three men burn. That is horrifying in and of itself. But as he's watching, he notices that there is a fourth presence in this fire, and he describes it as godlike. The appearance is godlike. Now, uh, there are a lot, and I mean a lot of opinions on who this fourth person is in the fire. And we don't have near enough time to go over it. But there, I, I'm, I'm going to, we know it was a, a messenger. It says an angel, like an, an angel, which is, again, again, we don't have enough time to go into that either. But Hebrew and Aramaic, it means messenger, a messenger from the Lord in this case. And there's two main uh, kind of main views on who this person is. It could be just that. A, God sends a spiritual being, an angel, a messenger from God to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. Um, or... Um, the second option is this is what scholars refer to as a Christophany. Um, essentially, uh, the, the presence of, the, of Christ, the presence of the Son of God, prior to him uh, taking on flesh and dwelling among us and dying on the cross in the New Testament. Um, 
And there's a lot of versions of that in between. So if you're sitting there and you're going, hey, you didn't say the thing I believed, there's a, a thousand different versions of that, and those are just kind of the main ones. Uh, both of those, I think, are biblical interpretations. Uh, personally, I tend more towards the Christophany. I think that the Son of God is in the fire with his children in this moment, and that is powerful and beautiful and so cool. Um, but yeah, if we, 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 can, we can get coffee later or whatever, and I can go into more detail if you want, but we, we do not have enough time. Um, but it is just incredible. All right, verse 26 and 27, let's keep going. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Big character shift there. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had, not had any power over the bodies of the, those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. I love that detail. If you've been within smelling distance of a fire, that smoke will find your clothing and just grip it. You guys know what I'm talking about. You don't even have to, you can like see a bonfire from a distance and go, oh, I, sm- I smell fire. And you go home and you still smell like smoke. The smell wasn't even on their clothes. Like this, it's, it, it feels like such a, like, as I was like a kid and just reading this, I, I remember being like, you just being like, oh, that's a strange thing. Like the supremacy of God in this moment. Like their, their hair isn't even singed. Their clothes are like, they don't even smell like smoke. They were in the middle of this fiery furnace. God doesn't only protect their lives, which would have been incredible in and of itself. He protects the clothing on their bodies. Like he completely covered them. This, when, when you talk about who can deliver you out of my hand, his hand wasn't even over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered them in an extreme way. There is no doubt. This isn't a, oh, I wonder if there was Nebuchadnezzar's attempt to harm these three men is completely brushed aside. It, that, like, this is, it is so cool. And I'm so glad that Daniel decided to include this detail because it wasn't, it wasn't just a life-saving. It was just an utter covering. It's so cool. Verse 28 through 30, last few verses. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serving and worshiping any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In response to this unbelievable act, the king not only admits that his power and his will were subverted and are beneath the God of Israel. But he also recognizes 
that the faith of these Jewish men is a legally recognized faith in his, in his province right after he just tried to unite all of them under his faith. Like, I, I just, it is so funny. Nebuchadnezzar keeps trying to reach his hand in the cookie do- jar and God is just slapping his hand away. He's like, nope, nope, nope. Like, utterly, he's admitting this from his mouth. It just, this shift is so cool and shows how God is just, just completely over and more powerful than this king's authority. Uh, I want to give you guys uh, one more quick passage I want to go over. Um, It's a passage from Isaiah 43, um, the first three verses. And I I put some words in bold that really moved me. Um, And I I think, uh, I hope this kind of like pushes pushes us over the edge a little bit. But I just, this this chapter just kept coming to me and I want to, I want to include it. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I, all of our students in our student ministry, they know this, and I'm sure they're sick and tired of it. But every time God like claims ownership of something, it just is so cool to me because nobody else can do that. Like I can, you know, like over the world, he goes, that like to us, before time began, Levi, you are mine. He claims me because he can. It's just, again, gosh, I could go forever on that. That is so cool. Let's keep going. Verse two and three. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You've been chosen. If you are a child of God, you are chosen by name. Our student ministry is walking through Ephesians chapter 1 right now, and it's like the beginning of chapter 1 is a lot of You've been chosen. You are a child. You've been adopted. You've been predestined for adoption. Before the foundations of the world, he called you by name. He claimed you as his before the earth was formed. That is bonkers. That is the God that we serve. This isn't a, he's not a, again, I, like, if, if you, like, my, my, I have some early memories as, as a kid of, like, and I'm sure you do, too, where you, like, fall down and skin your knee or something happens, and you're crying, and out of the corner of your eye, you see your parent just, like, sprinting down the street or whatever, because they hear you. That is amazing and loving parents who are just, like, just attentive. But our God is even greater than that. He's not a reactive father. He's not a father who reacts whenever we whenever we experience, he is sovereign over it. He is Lord over it. That's to the next level. My brain can't comprehend that kind of love. Not only that, but we shouldn't be afraid. Why? Because we are redeemed. He purchased us with his blood. And he is with us when we walk through trials. I'm going to go and welcome the band back up as we revisit this last little question that I mentioned at the beginning. Where is God when his children are suffering? Where is God when his children are suffering? Not if we pass through the waters, not if we walk through the fire, 
But when we do, he will be with us, present with us, not sitting on the sideline and going, man, I hope he can figure this out, but with us. He is like presently with us. And when you, you know that dark moment, whether it's a, from, a, from a failed test to you losing a loved one, from a, the example of a skin knee to cancer, like you know that moment you've hit where you just feel like you are dragging on the bottom, like you have hit that wall and you are just crumbling. He is with you, present, active. Our heavenly father, we are his children, not like, like children, he claims us. We all, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I have it probably more often than I like, but whenever in life you have those moments where all you can just say is, God, deliver me, deliver me, you are able, deliver me. I really pray that all of us, including myself, I, gosh, I, I need to, because I'm not good at it, that we have, I don't know, that we remember to continue on with the, but if not, but if not. Despite the fact that he had everything he could possibly want, the Son of God, in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, the triune God, he didn't need anything. He came down into our fire, came into our fire, took on flesh, humbled himself, walked through the fires of life perfectly, died on a cross for us. So that while we suffer now, we know that he's coming back to put out our fire forever. The pain we experience is incredibly temporary. And I know, and I know, I, like, I, we all suffer in different ways. And the, I know you guys have the thing in your brain where you go, it's just been, it's been years, Levi, and I'm sick of it. He knows. I was talking to, to Rachel this week, and I, I, there was a, Gosh, this is such a mood breaker, but like how everything in this, in this life you find now, it's like, I was on Instagram and a video pops up or whatever, and it's just like, long story short, this phrase kept popping up to me, God understands. He is our sympathetic high priest. He knows. He's not, again, I can't stress it enough. He is not a distant father that looks on and says, hope you can figure out. He knows because he lived it. He's a sympathetic high priest. He walked through life. He knows that life is hard, which is why, again, he is not solving our problem on a temporary level. He is solving our problem on an eternal level. Forever and ever, he will put out the fire. Jesus didn't suffer and die so that we ha would have an easy life. Obviously. Jesus suffered and died so that we could rest in etern eternity, guiltless and free before our Heavenly Father. 
That's why he did it. It's cool. It's really cool. But if not, that's hard. But I'm so glad that the God that we say, but if not to, is the God who will never abandon us and is with us in those moments where we feel the most alone. He never leaves us alone. I'm so grateful. Would you guys pray with me? God, we love you so much. Thank you for Daniel chapter 3, that we can be reminded that you are with us. And that in those moments when we feel like everything is just tearing apart, I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage to pray, but if not, because we are not relying on the blessings we get in the now. We're relying on the gift of your son and the gift of our inheritance that we will have for eternity. Thank you for loving with us. Thank you for being present with us and helping us and reminding us that we are never alone and that you understand. We love you, God. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.